It's a famous place of resort at all times, but especially on Sunday for those who love excitement and beer. There is no Sabbath in Over the Rhine. Nearly all the business houses are kept open seven days a week and many saloons all night. This is an excerpt from Moses King's 1880 print size and pint size King's Pocket Book of Cincinnati. It's a tour book written by Moses King and it was famously distributed around the United States because Over the Rhine was that much of a party town in the 1880s. Tonight, we reveal the history of 1313 Vine Street, one of the most prolific nightlife spots in Cincinnati and has been for over 170 years. and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents the Hometown Haunts podcast. I am your host, Kat Clogo, and tonight with me are Jen Kohler and Christina Wald. You can join us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at SinCabinetCurio and on Instagram at CincyCabinetOfCuriosities. And also, please join our Facebook group, Hometown Haunts. We're dying to hear about your personal encounters with the paranormal and fringe history from your neck of the woods. So please send your stories to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com or join the Hometown Haunts Facebook group to share your stories. And we're an official podcast that can be heard wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to see us while we're doing the show, you can watch the video feed on YouTube. Find us by searching Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities and please rate and review us so other spooky history lovers just like yourself can find us. Link in the show notes, of course. And thank you, Jen, for putting us on all the different podcast networks. So, Christina, you bring to us today a note from one of our listeners. Would you mind reading it for everyone? Sure, I'll read it. It says, hi. Hi. I recently found your podcast, and I'm liking it so far. Really enjoyed the U.S. Air Force Museum episode. We're going to visit it in the next few weeks. Ooh. I moved from Sharonville to Claremont County about 12 years ago. I've looked up some of the lore and legends of the area, and one keeps coming up that I can't find any info on. It's the Hidden Valley Cult. I tried to Google search it to find more info, but it's never more than a blurb. Have you heard of this? I haven't gone through all your episodes yet, so apologize if you've covered this. Thanks for the show. I'm really enjoying it. Eric. Ah, oh, thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you for writing into us. And we have not talked about cults here yet. <laughs> and uh, wow, the Midwest is full of interesting cults and has been for over 100 years. And I've talked about a few in the various books that I've written that most of them were niche religious cults that are long since gone now. But the Hidden Valley cult is not one that I've run into. But I do know on the east side, uh, out in the farmlands, there are lots of porter, porters, porters to hell, <laughs> Por portals to hell, and uh, satanic churches, which were old meeting houses and locations for different cults that we haven't talked about yet. So this just tells me that there are listeners out there that want to learn about our cultish history around Cincinnati and Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky. 
It's interesting because my students around Halloween, one of them was like, I heard that there's a portal to hell and blue ash. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Please tell me <laughs> about tell. it. I, well, I did. I did uh, because it's interesting to hear, you know, from them what they're, what stories they've heard. Oh, yeah. So, and, and stories are always evolving. Yes. And I do do want to note, I do do. Wow. English <laughs> today. Um, there are actual cults in Cincinnati, I'm not going to name them right now, but uh, they they there are active ones around the city. So, yeah, we wow. probably won't cover them. We'll cover the old dead ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't want any retribution. We don't need our lines cut. I like no. driving my car. I don't need those brake brake lines cut or anything. I like my internet. <laughs> I, it's. Yeah. Anyway, I well, it probably do, do you think because of the internet, there's more than ever, like because you can find your people anywhere oh, in the world cult, to start are, your own cult. People are strange, and it doesn't matter what decade, it doesn't matter what century, no. people are strange, and the doors had it right. Exactly. And there have been cults for groups throughout as long as people have been able to join social groups. Mm -hmm. Cults are a thing. So it's and it's and some them, everybody. Oh, go on. Sorry. Oh no, some of them are kind of innocuous, like they're just really a social group. Mm -hmm. But and then they earn bad reputations, and then some of them are not great at all, and are trying to separate you from your family and your money. So it's mm -hmm. and they've oh like the history of cults. There's always been those different variations. So what were you going to say, Christina? Oh, I was going to say that it, is it because whenever you have a group, there's always somebody that like doesn't agree with everything. And so then they start their own little group that, you know, believes this specific thing. Like, it seems like that is perhaps part of the historical thing. Everybody yeah. wants to adapt their thing to them, yeah. you know, to their own belief system. Yeah, good. pretty much. Exactly. And then they get power hungry and think they need to sleep with all the women, no matter what age. <laughs> that does happen too. And Aww. then they, somebody ends up dead or multiple. <laughs> yeah. It's like a choose your own adventure. Pretty mm. Yeah. Mm. I was thinking. <laughs> a deadly <of> one. <laughs> I was thinking of historic ones where people like, oh, then there's a famine and you just start eating each other. And mm -hmm. so th then you say, choose your own adventure. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> Well, maybe Mad Libs is better. <laughs> like, like, insert now here. Insert. <laughs> oh, and I'm sure there are cultish Mad Libs already in existence somewhere on the internet. Oh, my goodness. On that note. Yeah. Oh, man. And it does kind of tie into, ironically, the research for tonight's episode, which is 1313 Vine Street. And I say that because of the social clubs that get mentioned in it. So, sources for tonight's episode is Digging His Digging Cincinnati History, which, my goodness, you all do wonderful research. The Cincinnati Post, Soapbox Cincinnati, WLWT, City Beat, the University of Cincinnati, Grad Currents Archive. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. So, uh, lots of different, various points of view. So, sit back and listen as Kat talks about Cincinnati over the Rhine history. So we are going to enter our Wayback Machine to the 1850s. And Cincinnati saw a lot of growth. We have talked about this before. There was the era of Porkopolis and the riverboat industry booming at the time. Peter Knoll first purchased the property in 1850, where 
1313 Vine Street is now located. Uh, where he established Cincinnati Brewery. Five, five years later, the impressive building that stands now at was labeled 469 Vine Street, and it was, as it was known then, and it was 27,000 square feet that spanned the full block length from Vine Street to Republic Street. The building was designed to be a beer and dance hall and a meeting place, and it has served this purpose for over 170 years. The first floor was designed as a saloon, with the second floor as a dance floor, and the third floor and fourth floors as meeting halls. The first sub-basement has alcoves around it and was once used for a bowling alley. Des uh, descending into the second sub-basement reveals a 4,400-square-foot, 4, two-chambered, vaulted um, basement that runs the full length of the building. It's 20-foot has 20 foot barrel vaulted stone ceilings that are arched that go overhead. Currently ghost baby, a popular subterranean bar in OTR resides in these vaults. In 1859, Jacob F. Fatich established a coffee house. And I say this with air quotes around it in the building. The term coffee house may be a little misleading since they offer just about anything to drink at all times of day. Mainly, they were meant as gathering spots. A similar such location that is still in business today is Highland Coffee House on Highland Avenue, where you can buy coffee there at any time of day, but also alcoholic beverages are also available and light food. The coffee houses, pubs, and saloons running out of the building changed hands for the next few decades. What's remarkable, and Digging Cincinnati did a wonderful job with this, is they have every single person who managed the building and what saloon was in it basically since 1855. There are a few decades where that information is missing. And what's remarkable is those that information is missing from the mid-1900s. So from about 1950 to 1990, we don't have so many of these records, which is strange because we got all the old ones, though. So. On the upper floors, there were a variety of social clubs, which goes back to the cults we were just talking about, that gathered there, such as the A.O. Goodfellows, the Washington Lodge No. 1, met there every Thursday evening at 469 Vine Street. The Humana Lodge No. 8 met every Friday evening. Seven Wise Men, the Cincinnatus Conclave No. 1, met every Wednesday evening at 469 Vine Street. The Ruckert Conclave, number two, met every Sunday. And the Germana Encampment, number one, met every first and third Wednesday in each month. And we have decades worth of these roles that you can look through to see how many different um, social groups use the facilities in this building. Uh, the only thing I don't see are the Masons, which would have had their own private building that is downtown where they would be meeting for their Blue Lodges and for Scottish Rite. So I love, I love, love, love going to old Goodfellows halls. Um, they have such a spooky mysticism around. Uh, I've gone to different investigations at two different locations in Indiana and the people that were giving us the tours are like, we found human skulls here. And even a few years ago, uh, human skulls were found in an old Odd Follows treasure trove. And yes, they use skulls in their rites. So it, that's what makes it so spooky and what adds to the spookiness of 1313 Vine Street. 
1877, Frank Rotter uh, became the manager of the building and renamed it the Trivoli or Tivoli. There we go. There's no R in there. Tivoli. One of the names this building has been known as through the years, even with different building managers being brought on and leaving through the decades, Tivoli stuck. Social groups continue to use the buildings, such as the Cincinnati Linderkrantz, which met every Tuesday, the Cincinnati Sangerbund Drund Sang. Oh my goodness, I am butchering this. I'm so sorry, everyone. Sangerkor Germana Manorkor Goodfellow Sangerkor and Knights of the St. Martin, Knights of St. Thomas, the Mutual Aid Society, Plattdeutsch. Plattdeutsch, Wolderschinden. I'm just going to stop. We had a lot of German culture groups that social clubs that would meet there. Uh, still the A the AO Goodfellows, the Humana Lodge number eight, and then the AO UW Herman Lodge number fifteen. The seven seven wise men Cincinnatus Conclave still met there. The Independent Order of Foresters <laughs> Court. Cincinnati number three and the Knights of Honor Herman Lodge number 92. These are all different groups that met there. And I love how basically this place was just a buzz with social groups. And you can imagine all these people, I'm going to be honest, they were mostly men were meeting at this building and then going to the saloon that's on the first floor and in the lobby areas and drinking together. Um, Doing research on this, I discovered that it was not uncommon for people to have more than one social group or social club they were meeting with. So a lot of these men will probably in groups together, they're probably in two or three other social clubs that meet at this building. And it's OTR, thus all the German names. And I am sorry, my German speaking friends, I cannot read German very well. So I butchered those. So, moving on. In 1884, the building was renamed the Central Union Hall, and now you can understand why, on city maps. Then to the Germana Hall in 1887, and in the 1890s, it was marked as a dance hall for balls and parties as the New Lincoln Hall. In 1895, it was retitled as a saloon before becoming the Cosmopolitan. On June 12, 1897, when Wendell Meyer took over the management of the building, he had the entire building remodeled and added six bowling alleys to the first sub-basement. His new bowling alleys are described in the Cincinnati Choir as the finest in the city. And I provided the little snippet from the Cincinnati Enquirer. They had a formal reopening in that June 12th. Besides Tivoli, Cosmopolitan was the name the building was historically known as, and still kind of is known as today. Around, Also around this time, the address changed from 469 to 1313 Vine Street. Mary, Mary Harris Mother Jones made a speaking stop at the Cosmopolitan Hall in October of 1902. This was not her only speaking event or visit to the city, but in this case, she was trumpeting the case of improving the work conditions for the miners in Pennsylvania, and this was a fundraising speaking engagement. Although the event was free, including the musicians who had donated their talents to entertain the masses while there, donations were encouraged to help the miners. This was, after all, the age when work unions did not exist, but 
because of work from people like Mother Jones, unions were able to be established. In 1910, Meyer, the manager of the Cosmopolitan, passed away. Not in the building. Frank Dunterhofer became the manager of the building and continued to do so through the 1920s. When Prohibition hit the nation, the Cosmopolitan fared through it as a dance hall with a speakeasy running out of it that was very well known. In the late 1920s, Joseph Rosenberger became the manager of the Cosmopolitan. He added the Coral Gables Indoor Golf Course to the Cosmopolitan, which continued to be a popular meeting spot for local social groups. The building remained Cosmopolitan Hall until the mid-1940s when the building became Bellenby Furniture Store, run by Ray E. Bellenby, or Bellenby. He was the one that who is responsible for the marble Bellenby or Bellenby entrance placard that is at the front of the building. For the next few decades, the building would see a lot of change from the transition from being a place of social gatherings to retail stores. First was Bellenby Furniture Store, followed by the Wellsbach Sales Company or the Wellsbach Lighting, dealers in electrical equipment and supplies in 1956. It was also it also housed insurance offices, pool rooms, a wallpaper store, and in this era, 1313 Vines history is vague and not much has been preserved of it. Probably because no one thinks to preserve those ads for a wallpaper store on Vine Street. Something like that. In 1990, the second floor dance hall was used to film scenes from the movie A Rage in Harlem. Then in 1992, the most infamous tenants of 1313 Vine Street moved in, the Warehouse Nightclub. Christina, did you go to the Warehouse Nightclub? I was not cool enough to go to the Warehouse Nightclub. It, it was, was a kind really of an cool alternative. Place. Yeah, it was kind of an alternative club, and I don't think I ever went there. I had friends that went there, but, you know, I was too nerdy. Okay. I love, I pulled up some of the, um, I can't, I, I don't know how to share my screen for now, but I pulled up a lot of the like free drink tickets or free admittance tickets and the designs and the people that would show up and do um, performances at the club. And it was largely from what I understand, definitely on the first floor, because it was painted what gets referred to as um, basically saloon black or pub black nightclub black like everything in the building <laughs> yeah, was, was black everything was supposed to be black and i don't think i ever went there i don't yeah. remember going there but i heard many tales yeah i mean it just wasn't i guess what would you say it wasn't it wasn't my style really i was never that sort of goth alternative you, type person yeah it wasn't your jam <laughs> and that is exactly fun. exactly yeah so uh the warehouse nightclub was from all descriptions an alternative nightclub alive with the cincinnati alternative music scene it was quite popular yes yeah 1990s goth grunge flourished here as well as the underground lgbtq community it was a place for anyone who loved black leather changed pumped up hair and dark makeup final flannel jeans and punk hair were also commonplace with the denizens of the warehouse a place i probably would have visited if it had been around when I was doing clubs <laughs> from a commentator about being a regular at the warehouse. And this is from their, there is a warehouse group page that is just in honor of the warehouse. You could be whoever you wanted to be at the warehouse. No one cared about how you looked or dressed. It didn't matter if you turned 18 or in your fifties, we were all there to dance 
meet interesting people, just be ourselves and have fun. That was the best part of the warehouse. It is a very loved and still talked about today and greatly missed location in Cincinnati. There is a gaping hole where our little gothy hearts laid. Although a lot of Cincinnatians have said it was a scary place, and I definitely heard that when I moved here, it is still considered Cincinnati's best nightclub ever, which those that's a strong statement. And the 2001 race riots in Cincinnati, however, made their mark on the city and the population hesitated from going downtown to OTR afterwards. The Warehouse nightclub stayed in business until 2004. After that, the building was closed and stayed abandoned for over a decade, even with 3CDC purchasing it in 2006. Um, they, they kept the black paint and everything. 3D, 3CDC never touched anything. When the renovations took place, there were still black lights in the, in all the, sorry, I'm laughing, in all the light sockets, um, which I'm like, wow, okay. That must have made a very interesting first walkthrough when, if you're an architect. Uh, chances are, if you took an American Legacy ghost walk in the 2010s, you either walked by or got a chance to go into 1313 Vine Street, because that was one of the stops. Tivoli, Cosmopolitan, the warehouse all live on. And in late 2015, the buildings located at 1311, 1313, and 1315 were remodeled by 3CDC and Union Hall was created. Today, Ghost Baby Nut Club calls the sub-basements home, while the startup Centrifuge and the Union Hall, a co-working space, and the new Kruger's Tavern, which opens Tuesday, December 13th. So as a as of this recording yesterday uh opened now reside all at 1313 vine street so there's a lot going on and i love how it is still being used as a social venue so many years after it was established and it's had remodels but the heart of 1313 vine street has not been touched now we do have a few ghost stories we don't have a lot for a building that has been around for over 170 years, we only got maybe one ghost story. So, in 1996, two men were killed in front of and near the warehouse nightclub. The first was Charles Claiborne, who was 20 at the time, who was beaten to death by his brother. The second was Francis Epsi, 29, who was shot dead on the sidewalk in front of the nightclub. Their ghosts have never been reported, and you can get an idea that death lingers around the building. The place with the most reported spooky feelings is the Union Hall's sub-basement. Within its labyrinth, visitors begin to feel uncomfortable. Strange sounds have been reported there, and the feeling of being watched has been reported. Staff at the warehouse reported feeling uneasy, especially on the second and third floors where the offices were, but there was no discernible reason why. Ghost hunters who have used equipment there have had lights turn on and off, like flashlights turn on and off, during EVP sessions. One story is told by Ghost Baby on their website and is perhaps the origin of the bar's name. In an effort to revitalize the underground area, they write, workmen were sent in to set up the lighting fixtures. The only way to enter into the tunnels was to descend via a long ladder. After installation of the first bare bulb, the contractor made his way back up the ladder to retrieve a second bulb. When he returned, he found that the first bulb shattered. The attached wire was swinging as if 
it had been hit by someone or something. He shone his flashlight into the dark tunnel, but saw nothing. Since that day, other people in the space have reported hearing strange noises from time to time. Some have even said you can hear a baby crying. So that is the ghost story that Ghost Baby reports on their website, which I find interesting. Uh, I find it interesting because no one's ever lived in this building. I won't say babies have never been there. I mean, they are in the old bowling alley and, you know, kids bowling, all that. But the baby crying bit, I'm I'm a little bit leery to go, that was a ghost. It could have been just about anything else. Uh 1313 Vine Street has been a mecca for those looking for a great time out with friends for over 170 years. The atmosphere there is joyvolent, joyvolent, joyful. There we go. Buzzing with the energy of dances and social gatherings through the decades. There are surprisingly limited ghost stories about this, the entirety of Union Hall. Most of them just tell of feeling watched, hearing odd sounds and feeling uneasy. A lot of the spooky atmosphere is borrowed from the infamy, and I use this with air quotes again, of the warehouse nightclub and the society and the society's re- and society recovering from the satanic panic of the 1980s because it was a goth era and suburbanites would clutch their pearls and go, "Oh no, someone's wearing black. They must be a satanist." Type of thing. Jen is looking surprised in the corner here however if you have a story about 1313 vine street please share it with us please email stories to hometown haunted mail at gmail.com as always we are dying to hear from you about your experiences so that is 1313 vine street seems pretty cool i never went to the warehouse um I was, when I moved here, I was a teenager and then I went off to college. So I didn't, I didn't even know about it. You know, Cincinnati has never really been known for its nightclub scene. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I always heard about it, but I didn't know that's where it was. Yeah. I think I remember drawing. I mean, it's hard to remember people that are listening now over the Rhine. I mean, obviously the Italian architecture and stuff is still there, but it was not pre-cdc has really changed the whole i mean they've they've, it amazes me every time i go down there it's changed like they've raised Mm -hmm. more buildings they recovered more like they're totally changing all of downtown and the otr area but back then it was you know considered somewhat dangerous to go down there whether it really was it's hard to say but um you know, it definitely had a reputation and perhaps that's why, you know, you kind of had this alternative club scene here, but it was definitely considered like a cool place to go, which is why I didn't go there. Cause I was never cool. But. <laughs> yeah. I didn't live in Cincinnati at the time when it was in business, but I remember when I moved here, uh-huh. people were like, Oh, there was this place called the warehouse. Yes. And like, <laughs> just imagine like spooky hand gestures. Like the warehouse was a place where all the creepy goths went, and and I was just like, that sounds really fun. And mm. then learned about the race riots, and it it I won't say it was a bad place to visit. I remember going there, going to Cincinnati Music Hall for ghost investigations. I remember being approached by a man, and <laughs> he was just asking for money, and I just looked at him, and I was standing in between on the street 
in between i think that's elm street in between washington park and music hall and that's all cobblestone and i'm looking down admiring all the cobblestone and he comes up and he's asking for money and i look at him and i go do you know how many dead people we're standing on right now and he looks at me his eyes get huge and he just takes three steps back and walks away without saying a word and that that was kind of the area it was <laughs> people panhandling there was i remember a lot of people smoking in what was washington park at the time and uh, some other unsavory things did happen out there uh which is why it's remarkable how washington park is now and then mm. just it's so different from when i moved here and I like it because you can walk down the street. You could do it before, too, as long as you were talking about how many dead people were under you. No one touched you. So, yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, the revitalization of Cincinnati has been amazing. Mm-hmm. It really has. In more than one way. Because I will say, probably the warehouse could be down there as an alternative place. Because the rent was cheaper there. Mm-hmm. And it is a huge space. Mm-hmm. And now I don't want to know what the rent is in any of those buildings. It's just skyrocketed. So mm-hmm. it takes it's a us pretty to other neat looking topics. building too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. No, continue. Oh, I, I just, it, it, it has, it, the, the history is really interesting. One thing that in, in your research of this, that got me interested is it seems like, and maybe this is what Reddit is now or mm-hmm. any of those other there were so many, I don't want to call them secret societies, but clubs and, mm-hmm. and, and different groups. And I think that's how people would hang out back then because you didn't, you couldn't find, you know, like-minded people that easily because you didn't have yeah. the internet. And so yeah. you had like these social groups like the Elks Club or mm-hmm. the Masons. My grandfather was in the Masons and was a Shriner. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these groups now simply don't get that many members. No, um, my parents were very big into masonry. Mm-hmm. So my dad was a 32nd degree and mm-hmm. a Scottish Rite mm-hmm. guy. And my mom was an Eastern star. Mm-hmm. And yeah, where I grew up when it's rural, that's really important. That's a really good so- social networking. Really masons are small business owners. So they're always social networking. They're a great, mm-hmm. if somebody is sick, they're going to go help them. It, it's, any of these social groups kind of function those in those ways where they're basically your found family. Um, and your best friends would be going into them. You all have like a shared cultural connecting connection with all those different German social groups and social clubs. Um, the odd fellows, Shriners, all of them. And a lot of them were also philanthropic. Like I know Shriners is, so are parts of uh, the Masonic lodges so mm-hmm. uh, they'll all have their favorite charities that they raise yeah, I funds remember for. my grandfather grilling hamburgers at some festival yeah as a child because yeah. he you know he was also 32nd degree and my grandma was in all the eastern star stuff and, mm-hmm. yeah. and i remember going to some of that stuff as a little yeah. kid yeah and uh but yeah you're right in urban areas now n- not so many of those uh, clubs still exist excuse me i'm hiccuping were those clubs something that you had to be like you had to be German to be in the German one or like some did you them. have to be accepted 
into a lot like of a times buy yeah it's and... a referral like a yeah. lot of times okay. like i know the masons is that way i don't know if it, these a lot of the clubs you have to be referred by someone mm -hmm. or have some sort of, they're like fraternities or sororities yeah. for adults gotcha. I mean, yeah. yeah you know all of these things and one thing that would be interesting to study is a lot of these organizations have like an exotic sort of would you say it was the orientalism of the 1800s and stuff where they yeah. have all these sort of fake i don't want to say fake but like these rituals and stuff that are really be I, rituals i, I, I hate yeah. to call it made up but you know having been in a sorority before like they have and, and i hate the word ritual but it's like no that's what it is that's what an anthropologist would call ritual brushing yeah, your it, teeth is also considered a ritual if true, you do it true, daily true. at the same time um you know so. it, it it seems like a lot of organizations have these and it's not just i mean if you're catholic if you've been confirmed or first like all of those things are rituals and mm -hmm. i think it's something that's like a bonding activity really yeah and it, i was amazed at how theatrical the masons were oh of I course went, I, it, ironic i don't know why so many of the masonic halls especially their blue lodges are haunted so mm -hmm. i've gone to three different blue lodges and done investigations and all three of them super duper haunted i'm like geez guys what what is it with this but Maybe going, they like the club so yeah, much they just they, don't that's generally leave. it. In, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your best buddies were there, you were drinking, and I mean, a lot of times your kids would go there. If you had sons, they would also be part of the lodge. Yeah. And and it's always it's not always gender specific. Mm -hmm. Uh, because a lot of times, at least the lodges where I grew up, uh, the women would use the blue lodge too. It's just mm -hmm. different alternating times. And mm -hmm. uh and you would have men and women in both of their little ritual uh, ceremonies and Oh, totally. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember going into their, their costume closet because they do a lot of reenactments of things and mm -hmm. just looking at all the costumes. I'm like, man, you, you spent a lot of money on all these things. <laughs> and just so many, you, you think dark robes, like dark velvety robes, there are one or two the amount of aprons that get worn not kitchen <laughs> aprons but aprons that are worn and silly hats is amazing um, well it's all community building really yeah. i mean and, and wanting it to feel like it's beyond just normal yeah. i guess you want to yeah. and i think that that type of thing has just lessened in popularity as the internet because now with the internet you can easily find people you know as artists we have many online groups where we can talk about what we do and our art with like-minded people you didn't mm -hmm. have that back then yeah right you're pretty well, much stuck with your town well yeah but you had so many different groups and they all advertised yes. in the newspaper they there will be pages dedicated to the meet times and locations of every one of these places and groups and like the art club of cincinnati is a similar like exactly, yeah. social club um and then even today we still have them um we have like the japan america society has social clubs and mm -hmm. um well we still the have bourbon the illustrators society. group yeah, sorry Bur bourbon society There's the bourbon society they still exist and mm -hmm. um covid put a big old kink in a lot of them but they still are around so i used to be part of drinking liberally yep. I used to meet and drink but it seems like they a lot of the formality Oh, of yeah. these groups has sort of dropped away and they're more casual in their yeah. structure 
Um, I remember there was a, I, w I went to a women's art club meeting because I spoke to the women's art club. I'm actually going to speak to them again in April. And um, I was, one thing that was impressive to me was they still had a parliamentary procedure meeting with minutes and <laughs> each of the people reading, you know, their reports and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. You never see this anymore. Yeah. Um, but there are clubs that still do it. And that used to be like when I was in Girl Scouts, they did parliamentary procedure where you had the president read their thing and then the vice president and then the secretary and stuff. But, you huh. know, people just aren't into that anymore, yeah. I guess, as much. Yeah. No, it is a lot more casual. You can just write that all down mm -hmm. in, in, in the minutes and just reference those back. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I have wanted to start a book club where... We meet once a month, but we don't all read the same book. We read whatever we want, and then mm -hmm. we tell everybody about it. Huh. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. <laughs> this is as far as I've ever gotten. <laughs> well, we could always do the Hometown Haunts book club. <laughs> yeah. We could go meet at the Tome. They would yes, love us. Yes. What a great idea. Yeah. I, I want to go to Ghost Baby. Hmm? We should go to Ghost Baby. <laughs> I think it'd be a little bit loud for us to be able to go. And the fun note, Christina, is these tunnels, if you remember Jay for Mest, mm -hmm. he had that big art display that was in a tunnel. Yes, that, that was, was cool. these tunnels. Oh. Yep. Interesting. Back in 2018. So wow. before Ghost Baby was finished, um, that's where Jay had his art exhibit. So mm -hmm. really cool. It was, I'm sad I missed it, but couldn't go. Mm -hmm. It was impressive. A goth club. Hmm? We should start a goth club. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wednesday think... was super popular. I think well, uh, people would only, be only one, only, uh, are, are we goths? Would we? Have, I mean, who considers their, themselves a goth here? I always wanted to be one, but oh, I was okay, never so brave enough to be one. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that I was. I'm not dark enough to be a goth. I think is my I, problem. I was. I am. You, you, so, I, so it never have, goes away. So Cat so is our soul god. Uh, yeah, I'm the soul god. So I'm we're, not we're, dressed that way today. Like, what but... should we call ourselves? I mean, the only reason why I, why I wear a lot of black is not for goth reasons, but because I get paint on and stuff on everything, <laughs> and and white and lighter colored things just get ruined so quickly that. Yeah. You know. No, I get that. It, it's I wear black because that's my favorite color, mm -hmm. and. Uh, yeah, it it's oh, I'm not. It does go. coordinate with everything. It does. It, it looks does. really good with ginger hair too. Mm -hmm, it's one of the few mm -hmm. colors that ever works all the time. It also makes getting dressed super easy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. the I only problem is when you have two orange cats. There is a fur thing. Yeah, that that's oh. oh speaking oh, of ghost. animals, <laughs> with a hey, tail. Oh, hey there, Chewy. It's everyone's favorite Chewbacca. Oh, he's so cute. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think a book club would be really fun. Yeah, that would see be. what people are reading. And I, I mean, you know, the thing about reading your own thing, though, is I guess that requires everybody in the club to kind of almost do a book report. Yeah, I was just thinking that I'm like, it'd well, be a monthly book report, but it's loosely, really a summary. Loosely. I, I mean, mean, really, the point is to. Commit to reading a book a month, right? Mm -hmm. And then get together with your friends and eat and drink and mm -hmm. talk shit. I think we I could mean, agree with on a book, though. We could. I mean, 
I'm going to be honest. I listen to most stuff on Audible, so that counts. Well, as you a can book. still like <laughs> you can still participate by just listening. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't. Although have it's to... interesting, I've had friends in book clubs that say the people that listen on Audible take a often take a lot of stuff very differently than the people that read it. Hmm. You know, I've tried listening to audiobooks and. I find having someone read it to me who isn't the author, mm-hmm. it depends on their inflection, their tone, how they read it, it and really how does. you take it. And when you're reading it yourself, you have your, you're reading it in your own voice mm-hmm. and how you would speak or how you would just hear things. And it it's very different. So I have a hard time with, well, maybe not with books anyway. Not so much podcasts because it's not mm-hmm. like it. Re- having a good reader really is important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are books that I have not liked before because I didn't like the reading of them. Yeah, you know. And sometimes a book that's maybe not as good you might like better because the reader's better. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a different experience. Troy and I were arguing about this the other day, and maybe our listeners can weigh in on this: whether you're really reading a book or not when you listen to it. Ah. Uh. If you technically know it's not reading, but yes, you're listening. Yeah, I think you're still taking in the content, so I'd still count it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I do love about e readers now is I love having books like the physical feeling of books, Mm -hmm. but being dyslexic, the uh serifed fonts that they usually use, I can't read very well. Oh, interesting. So now with a lot of e-readers, you can get a dyslexic friendly font and download that. And oh my goodness, it speeds up how fast I can read now. That's amazing. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. So if you are dyslexic like me, fair listener, and like reading books, but they give you migraines and put you to sleep, um, try downloading a dyslexic friendly font. There's a few different ones that you can get now. And it, it doubles the amount of reading that I can do. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah. So it, it, I didn't it, know that. Hot tip. Dyslex. I didn't know that. That Yeah. Yeah. Because like I'll confuse B's and D's and P's okay. all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'll want, by the way, I have all three of my dogs are just sitting around me <laughs> um, like a little circle of fur. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, so you'll hear jingles of tags. Um, yeah. I confuse them all the time. And uh, also L's and I's. If they're mm-hmm. not formatted right, like a, a mm-hmm. serif hat helps. Those are those little checks that you see uh-huh. on any of the texts and fonts that you use. And that does help. It helps me indicate which letter it is. But yeah, um, but if you if I'm reading Korean or Japanese, I do not have this problem. It's only oh, interesting. So it's wow. just a fantastic little just how is this working? I'm sure there is a linguist out there who would be like, oh, yeah, I want to talk to you. But yeah. that's really that's, interesting. Yeah. I wonder where that is. I don't know. Just how and your brain's wired, I guess. I guess it is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but just that was just my tip for if we're doing a book club mm-hmm. for anyone who's dyslexic, there's hope. You can still read and enjoy books. It's mm-hmm. just you'll need some extra stuff. Basically, I need a reason to read my books because I have so many that I haven't read that I need to stop getting them. But yeah. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah it's, it's, it's a great way to, 
the thing that's nice is it, it's a thing to discuss. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I have a couple friends that have book clubs and we for a while had a drinking liberally one too. We didn't mm -hmm. really read political literature. We read more novels and biographies and stuff, but I'm just going to read about dead things. So right, every yeah. single time I'd be like, this is the ghost book that I read today. Uh -huh. Or this month, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you, we could have a theme every month where it's not necessarily the same book, but within the same genre. Or is that, that too too that wide? Could work. Mm -hmm. I just want to read about dead things, so well, <laughs> that's what motivates me to read. <laughs> dead things. I the book club. The just read all about dead read, things. Do you ever read fiction, or is fiction on your radar? Or I don't. So I very rarely ever read fiction. And mm -hmm. it, it is always just historical books. And usually somebody's died and something haunts that area. It, it's mm -hmm. that is my niche. I live in it. And mm -hmm. uh, that's what got me reading when I was eight. And uh, I've never really stopped since. It's not that I don't like to. Like, I love Howl's Moving Castle by mm -hmm. Diane Wynne-Jones. She's a great writer. Yeah. And like I love stuff by Neil Gaiman, and but I have mm -hmm. to listen to them via audiobooks while I'm working. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but if I'm going to sit down and actually read a book, it usually is going to be a a haunted history book. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can't. I like I've tried reading Anne Rice stuff, and I'm like, I love you, Anne. I can't read this. So I love her. I guess I need to <laughs> give back my goth card and give it to you, Jen. Outwardly, I was not a goth. Internally, I'm your a soul is but as that's black more important. As the sky. <laughs> but but you know that's the most important thing. Are you inside a goth? I think so. You know whether am, am you, I you're... inside a goth? How have I disemboweled them? <laughs> exactly. When you think that way, then obviously <laughs> you may be a goth if you think. <laughs> that, 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 oh, that's your cartoon this week, Cat. You may be a goth if. Yeah. I. <laughs> You may be a goth. That brings me to, like, you do the crone cartoons, Christina. Yes. I was thinking about doing a series called The Creeps, which it would oh, just yeah. be a slice of life with my family mm -hmm. in the vein of the original Adams Family cartoons. Oh, um, you should do it. Totally. Because yeah. I'm like, I'm a living goth. Like, he, the, the Adams Family to him, he was very much, Adams was very much a goth before that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And so he just, took all of his interests and put them on paper for the new yorker and kind of like edward gory yes very much and for a really long time i thought edward gory did the adams family because i was dumb <laughs> and it's, it's but no these were two men with the same interests making illustrations mm -hmm. um Though I would say Gory, I think, did it slightly better. But anyhow. Well, he apparently, debate. like all those men he drew, that's how he dressed. The big fur coats. Mm -hmm. and Like he, he lived in a giant Victorian home. And yep. he oh, wow. lived with a bunch of cats. Yep. I mean, oh, wow. he was an interesting guy. Um, yeah. I have a book on. He didn't have like a autobiography, but there's like a collection of his interviews that I have. That's yeah. interesting with him. Well, I just thought it would be funny. Writing mm -hmm. a slice of life story or comic about a very gothy mother trying to mm. navigate being a parent in the 21st century. <laughs> so it <laughs> is autobiographical. Many friends. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It is very autobiographical then. It would be very autobiographical, but it's just like, I think I told you about Wheatley's Headless Horseman costume 
from when he was a puppy. I know. No, I don't know if I've heard. Jen is laughing. I think so. Yeah. I I have the image in my head. (laughs) Okay. I may not remember it. It's it's okay. I, I will retell it. This will be the Cliff Notes version. So back in 2011, we adopted Wheatley, who for our listeners was my very first dog. And he was super fluffy and black and white partied uh, fuzzy dog. And I got him a very cartoony looking headless horseman costume. So it was a little rider that was the headless horseman. um, And it was sitting astride Wheatley as (laughs) if he was the horse. And then it was holding the pumpkin as its head. And I thought this was the greatest costume. It is so Halloween. Um, And I entered him into a costume contest for dogs and cats if they chose to show up. And uh, and then there was also a little kids costume contest. And this was in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Cincinnati. I really should have known my audience. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it was not gory. It wasn't spouting blood or anything. It was just extremely it was a soft stuffed animal decapitated human basically. (laughs) So, um, so we do it and Wheatley did not win. There was somebody who was dressed up as a spider. That was like a, um, little wiener dog that the town, there we go. And it was really cute. So it deserved a win. But this mother came up to me and she's like, excuse me. And I'm like, yes. And she goes, your costume for your dog is too scary and inappropriate for this costume contest. And Whoa. she said, my little girl is too afraid of your your dog's costume. And I looked down. Mind you, Wheatley is maybe 15 pounds. He looks like a gigantic fluff ball because his hair has been teased out to three <laughs> inches. So imagine this black and white little cloud mm-hmm. with this very cartoony <laughs> decapitated human <laughs> sitting on it holding a pumpkin. And I got it at PetSmart. It wasn't, it was not like handcrafted or anything. And I just looked at her and I'm like, it's the headless horseman. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, a classic American folktale. And she's just like, but it's too. All children know. All children. I'm like, Disney animated it. And she's just like. Yes, but it's too scary. And I'm like, Tough shit. Life. <laughs> <Walk away. laughs> it sounds like it wasn't you, it was her. I mean, yeah. was we still have a hometown haunt to read. So yeah. we, still have a, we still have a hometown haunt. We digress. Well, I mean, I think that this kind of because we started talking about goths and books. Yeah. And, you just, know, um, we the warehouse the just brings that out in people. It really yeah. does. I remember you used to see like ads and in, in, I think it was City Beat and stuff like yep. that for warehouse. But like, I, I remember the them. people that used to go there like in college and stuff. And, it, you know, even though I was in DAP at the time, I was not that was not the crowd that I was indie music crowd and the show tune crowd obviously don't usually hang out together. You know, uh, my enjoyment of Andrew Lloyd Webber seemed not appreciated by people that like the clash. I don't understand why. God. So you want to look into my youth? Um, I used to dra- dress straight. Um, for when I was leaving the house in college, because I, I went to college while living with my parents. And as soon as I got to the college, I would change into my more gothy or punk outfits. And I was a part of The Post, which was an underground rock scene in nice. northern Indiana. 
And I took Mike there once and he looked terrified. He was just like, I don't what? I'm like, no one's gonna hurt you. Like you'll you'll leave with both your kidneys. It's okay. But he was just absolutely just the eyes were the size of saucer plates. Like yeah. just you made everything. me cough. Yeah, sorry. So but anyway there def- definitely is still a crowd that's into that and maybe oh, they yeah. need to have more goth clubs are there any goth clubs if are there goth clubs in cincinnati that we just don't I know don't about think so no. i don't think so it's just Mm-mm. not been no that 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 particular decade is gone like in chicago there was the castle which mm-hmm. was a big goth club that's also said to be haunted and uh, yeah just I, I if there are any they're super underground right now and mm-hmm. i am not in that group anymore to be able to tell you so i was never in the in that kind of group nope yeah. <laughs> no is there you know that's a good question you know talking about things like um the warehouse that kind of and the you know talking about cults because we were just talking about doing a show on cults like in the 70s and 80s the whole rock and roll scene like there was this satanic panic around it yes and i'm wondering if there is any music now that has the same where where oh. is the oh, the satanic oh. ma- uh, panic seems to have moved to politics away from music it, it has it has gotten into politics but i had an older male co-worker tell me that rock and roll is the devil's music and, and you said yeah satan, that's why i like it it's satan worshiping oh bless him you know i had a class okay dude <laughs> i had a class in high school and the teacher with a with a serious face was talking about all the hidden artwork in album covers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and um, sorry, I had to edit my. It's okay. No, it I'm just sitting here laughing and I'm like, magical mystery tour, anyone? Like, or no, it's, um, well, that one. Um, and it's what we call Easter Sergeant eggs Pepper. today. Oh, yeah. Sorry? I mean, I had, yeah. I had friends. Mm-hmm. I had friends in high school who's older brothers and sisters had their um, albums taken away and burned and because they thought they were satanic and wow you know there was a lot of music and then of course then it went to D, which was really funny oh because my oh my fantasy devil worshiping cult sacrificing people in the basement i'm clearly <laughs> doing too much talking that my voice is not ready for you would you like me to read the hometown haunt then yes i think that All you right. should read it while my, my to... vocal cords yeah All right, so our hometown haunt is from Brad. And Brad writes, Around 2011, we got a picture on a game camera of a small child wearing old-time overalls at a remote cabin on a day we were there. Never saw the kid, and no little kids within walking distance. Occasionally, the smell of cherry tobacco or laundry soap. Again, no near neighbors. Um, And then... This is continues. I just smelled the cherry tobacco last month. We also saw a kerosene type lantern moving down our driveway one night. Couldn't get the kids to investigate. Smiley face. P.S. Near Zalesky, Ohio, Vinton County, home of the haunted Moonville train tunnel. So, yes, <laughs> I liked your jazz hands there, Jen. Yeah, that. Thank you. Thank you, Brad, for submitting this. That is a wonderfully... Oh, I love that. This is a nice little spooky tale. I, I like the idea of a spooky child and mm-hmm. overalls just haunting So I'm outside. guessing he didn't go down the, the drive yeah, to investigate either. I guess either. neither one of them. The kids nor 
Well, aren't Nor ghost Brad. lights? We've done shows on them. That mm-hmm. is a pretty common thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I, yeah. My first reaction to that would be like, who the he- who was coming down my driveway? I'm not going out there because they're probably going to murder me. <laughs> yeah, I I would be. I don't think murderers would exactly be using a light that's so obvious going down. That's just where hill. my brain goes, cat. <laughs> I would just be like, send out the dogs and see what happens. If the dogs run back, then you're like, oh no. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> no, that would be fascinating. I would probably yeah. just sit in the lawn and watch it fly around. Do a barrel roll. Do a barrel roll. You've seen ghost lights before, right? I have. I did not scream do a barrel roll at them, though. <laughs> I missed opportunity. Yeah, I've seen them on the occasion that immediately pops up is I was investigating an old funeral home. So, oh, yeah. And a different one was a historical society. Oh, wow. They were self-illuminating orbs floating. And, and then also, wow, more than one. Okay. And then also Saddam's Rectory. Um, they were just floating down the hallways like they wow. were a little ball of light that was self-illuminating and uh, super duper creepy because you're like, my brain, I know physics is a thing. I think this breaks all the rules type of. I, I was just yeah. in awe over it. So and they've always glowed white. Hmm. I've never seen them in a, any other colors, but um, so I like orbs you can physically right? see. Sorry. Right? Orbs you can physically see. Yeah. Yeah. And if they show like up on, on your, your camera, yeah, it's just dust when you take a picture of them, or when they just you I don't think see orbs it when you're taking. F- yeah, there there's a few photos that are ghost photos that I sit there and I go, that could be an orb that looks mm-hmm. a lot like one. Um, but most of the time it's most of the time it's dust, okay, or hair or bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just imagining the mayflies that will just swarm you in parts of the Midwest if you take a photo. There's <laughs> like, Wah. um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, most of the time it's dust, and I. I remember before I realized that orbs were dust, I took a photo of a friend and there was dozens of orbs around them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're super haunted. <laughs> no, it, it, we yeah. just needed to get a bottle of pledge and <laughs> dust. You know, for often. some reason, I'm, I'm picturing Pigpen from Peanuts right now. <laughs> you're not too far off. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was haunted. That's really what it was. Yes, yeah, it's just a haunting. Yeah, he was haunted. It's a light oppression. Like yeah. spirit oppression. <laughs> wow, Charles Schultz, you were really a cult, weren't you? Maybe peanuts will be bad next. Yeah, you, you never know. I wouldn't put anything past anyone. Yeah, you know, if the it, I don't know what they have that Halloween episode. Mm, that's great true. That's true. The Great Pumpkin was pretty, you know, edgy. The yeah. smallest cult put to screen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just Linus. Well, Sorry. on that note, before yeah. all of our voices run out. Oh wow, yeah, we're it's been a, a special day. So, thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you, Brad, for writing in, as well as Eric. Uh, if you would like to share your stories of the strange and spooky, to steal James Willis's term right there, you can email them to hometownhauntedmail at gmail.com. You can also follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter and at Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram. And Cincy is spelled C-I-N-C-Y, Cabinet of Curiosities, just for those who want to know how it's how we spell it. 
So for myself, Christina, and Jen, thank you for joining us. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay spooky. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>